0: Some more announcements at the end, uh, but we'll go ahead and jump in. And uh, our text tonight is Revelations 2, 8 through 11. If you remember last week, pastor started teaching on has a lesson. And uh, I'm going to read uh, Revelation 2, 8 through 11, and then we will uh, go back to that in a minute. And unto the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive, I know thy works, and tribulations, and poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them, which say they are Jews, and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto the end, and I will give thee a crown of life." Uh, you may be seated. Uh, Lord, bless your word tonight, Lord. Uh, strengthen our hearts by it, Lord. Lift us up, encourage us. Lord, your will be done in the service tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And so, <laughs> I want a little one. <laughs> okay, um, and welcome to those who are watching on live stream tonight. Uh, I welcome you and hope that uh, Lord, strengthens you also. So these seven churches, the book of Revelation, uh, it's the topic tonight is going to be uh, your faith tested because we're talking about Smyrna. And uh, the main idea of my message tonight is don't let the persecution push you, you know, you don't want to push you around, uh, pushing you to, uh, uh, you know, upon your faith. You don't want it persecution is going to come, but you've got to stand up. Jesus' resurrection ensures the resurrection of those who follow him. So many times when it comes to uh, the things of God, many people don't really understand what living for God is really all about. Too many people today think God's a fix-it person, and they can just, once they come to know him, he'll just fix everything for him, for them. Well, <laughs> that was the mistake that the Jews made. They want an earthly king, but Jesus was not just an earthly king, he was a heavenly king. And he has a kingdom beyond this world and that's the one that he's preparing us for. And so no matter what we go through down on here, it will be worth it all. It will be worth it all one of these days. Uh, He's promised us a resurrection to those who follow him. Uh, When we read the scriptures, it surprises a lot of people uh, that we should have an expectation of persecution. I may want to be persecuted, yeah, well, (laughs) you're going to feel worse at the end of the night then, (laughs) because the scripture clearly lets us know that there will be persecutions that come, Uh, persecution means the uh, hostility uh, and ill treatment, um, the systematic mistreatment of a group or individual, and it can be political or anything else, but we're talking about the religious tonight, and uh, that's the sad thing today is we, we have a lot of examples in the world today of persecution towards Christians, and uh, things have got turned around from what they used to be, and in the early church, the church was persecuted because of their beliefs, and uh, we see here in the latter days, it's getting more and more and more uh, that we are going to have to face this also. Some in the world, are all, some Christians in the world are already facing it. But all of us are going to have to face it uh, sooner or later. It's difficult for us that are in America to grasp the fact that persecution is going on against the church in the world in great intensity. We don't have the persecution right here uh, in America to the extent that it is around the world. Now, we have persecution here. We're definitely not the favored group anymore, even though we're supposed to be one nation under God. But we see a lot of things coming against that right now. And so we do have that in what you may call soft persecution. Uh, they're not killing us in America yet, but who knows? Uh, it may not be that long before that happens also. So it's hard for us to grasp what else, what's going on around the world because it's does not really happen to us. And it's, really difficult for us to understand this concept because of all the freedoms that we enjoy here in America, that we have the freedom to assemble. We have the, the right to our religious freedom. And uh, we do have, you know, some elected officials definitely going the other way on us right now. Uh, and one thing I can say is nine times out of 10, if you hear a politician that is not for Israel, sooner or later, they will not be for Christians. That's, that's just the beginning of it. And uh, so when we look at it from another standpoint, I'm not sure that the American church isn't already facing soft persecution that's been harmful to us. And uh, the devil's evil and he's smart. He doesn't persecute everybody the same way. Uh, the, the, uh, it just, he can't do the things that he would do in other countries yet here, but he has his ways of getting to us. So uh, persecution of the American church shows up in a variety of different ways. One. A low level of desire for true holiness. If you look at the American churches today, all churches in general, you see a very low level of a desire for true holiness. Most of them don't even talk about it anymore at all. There's also an alarming lack of spiritual discernment. It's sad that people who are, go to church and can't answer basic Bible questions don't even know all the Bible stories anymore. And yet they say this is my church or that's my church. And we know from knocking on doors, just because they say that's their church doesn't mean they actually go. And so uh, the third thing is worship has become sorely lacking in uh, seriousness. Not very many churches are worshiping anymore. They may go there, but you know, in the more traditional churches, everything's done from the platform and you just kind of go along with it. And, and some of the uh, more modern churches or the evangelical churches, uh, it's even got to the place to where it's just the praise singers and the platform doing everything and the congregation doesn't sing anymore. They don't always clap anymore. They don't always stand anymore. And uh, we're fortunate here that we're not at that point. But there are a lot of churches that are. And then uh, a soaring biblical illiteracy. And this is the one that really stands out to me because we're living a today with the internet and all the things that we have how knowledgeable people could be about the Word of God, but that's not what they go look up. <laughs> they go look at everything else, but they really don't know that much about the Bible. They're shocked when you give them basic scriptures that you've heard all the time. You know, In many churches, you talk to them, ask them what they think of Acts 2.38, they've never heard of it before. And so that's, that's where he's attacking us. He's, he's not keeping us from being Christians, but he's keeping a lot of people from being true Christians. And so some would say this isn't persecution, but uh, the way that that soft persecution comes is through the gates of materialism, consumerism, and carnal attitudes. Sad to say there's too much of that in the church today. Persecution is at its very root evil and satanic as just a cursory reading of this text proved to us the scriptures that we just read in Revelation 2. According to the Open Doors organization that keeps track of Christian persecution around the world, of the top 25 nations that persecute Christians, the majority are now Middle Eastern countries that have Islamic beliefs that are pushing them. It's sad to say, uh, this is happening more and more in America. Uh, It's just sad. (laughs) The things that the... Islamic communities expect us to accept, and yet they won't accept or respect us for the same things. And uh, I mean, it, it, the most re- one of the most recent ones is the bombing in Sri Lanka of three churches on Easter Sunday, There or several hundred killed. And uh, we just got a, uh, I was, on, was it on Facebook or a text? I can't remember. Our churches in Sri Lanka are having difficulty because they weren't even allowed to have service for several weeks. Now they have started having some services, but they have to have a police presence there. And, uh, you know, you know how we were when we couldn't get in the building. Well, that's where they've been for the last month. And it's uncertain because they don't know, you know. And uh, as many times if you don't have service, you don't always receive the tithes and offerings, and therefore the ministry there is having a difficult time. And a lot, well, the other thing, too, is a lot of those people are not able to go to work because of the unrest there. And so they're, they're really struggling there right now. Why? Because some Islamic fundamentalists, extremists, decided they wanted to cause some problems. And so they set these bombings up, and they're not the only bombings that we've had in Christian churches around the world. It's happening more and more and more. In the last two years, we, we all heard about Uh, the burning of the uh, Notre Dame Cathedral. But what the news didn't tell you is there's been over 2,000 incidents of either uh, vandalism or destruction of churches in France. That's just in France. And it's happening a lot of places. It's happening in Germany, too. Part of the problem is you have so many Islamic people coming up, fleeing Syria and the other countries, coming up, and they are... Uh, in these different cities, and there, there's getting to be so many of them that they're beginning to have more and more effect on the, the cities that are there. And the political leaders, because they want their votes, <laughs> allow them to dictate to them what needs to be done. And so over there, it's very difficult whenever they uh, record and talk about these incidents that happen, these bombings or situations that happens against Christians. Most of these uh, countries over there are not allowed to say that it has anything to do with Islam, they're not allowed to say it. They're not allowed to talk about it. They can't report that part. Most time, they don't report anything. And so uh, it's just getting worse and worse, and we see it more and more uh, even here in America. And so uh, all this is moving towards us. And uh, so before getting into the heart of text, let's look at the promise before the persecution. In light of the uh, coming persecution, Jesus was very clear that it would take place. It definitely will take place. Uh, John chapter 16 and verses 1 through 3 says These things have I spoken unto you that ye should not be offended. They shall put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth, will think that he doth God a service. And these things will they do unto you because they have not known the Father nor me. (laughs) They don't know God. And they don't know him. So they think, and you'd have to say, the extremists that we have in the world today think they are doing their God a favor by killing us. That's the situation you're in. This is just one of the warnings that he left. All through the Gospels, there are other messages that he left. However... There are other New Testament warnings that are given as well. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 12. This is a a tough one. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. This is why some people don't like to live godly. (laughs) Because the persecution comes. And we have to realize that the Bible says it's going to come. So we shouldn't be that surprised by it. We should expect it. And so uh, when Peter was writing the epistles, he warned of persecution in chapters 2, 3, 4, and 5. All that are godly are going to suffer persecution, but he sums up what will happen in 1 Peter 5.10, which says, but the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Jesus Christ, after that he had suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. So these are the promises if we are persecuted. promise that Jesus left to his church that they would be persecuted, but he tells us the good effects that it will also have upon us. And then if we look at Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Uh, this Verse has been twisted a lot of different ways, especially by Pentecostal churches. It does not mean that you can charge hell with a squirt gun and think it's going to be all right. <laughs> I'm going to prevail. No, that's not what it means. <laughs> uh, when, we, when we look at the true meaning of it, is that the gates of hell, and it comes from the word Hades here, uh, means the gates of death will not prevail against the church. The enemies of the church, even Satan himself, can physically kill all whom he may desire. But the apostolic church is just going to continue marching on. You see, we like to think that he can't kill us, he can only in God's time, but he can. And we have to understand that that's not, that's not the blessing of not dying at a certain point, the blessing is what comes after. Our death. The blessing is, because we lived a certain way, we can live eternally with him. And so we have to understand it will not again, you have to be very clear about this. It does not say that it will not prevail against any saint in the church. It says it will not prevail against the church. And so Satan cannot stop the church. No matter how many of us he stops, he still cannot stop the church. And so that's where our strength is, is knowing that he cannot stop the church. Uh, it'd be while you're alive and even after you're gone he still can't stop the church and because of that we are the ones who are going to come out the victors he thinks he wins when he takes one of us out <laughs> but just like with his resurrection the devil thought he had him good on Friday night but he forgot Sunday was coming and so <laughs> the Bible tells us that persecution will never destroy a church but it will strengthen that church and this is what we fail to remember sometimes. The saints will become more powerful and the hypocrites and the tares bolt because of the pressure and pain will expose them who they are. A church that's being persecuted doesn't have too many hypocrites. They leave at the first heat. <laughs> they leave at the first shot. They're, they're not going to be around. They, they get exposed that they're not really living the way they should. And so the church that is left is the one that's on fire and understands that there will be persecution. So, Smyrna is uh, uh, the church under great pressure. Uh, Smyrna is one of the churches in the hardest, harshest uh, conditions of persecution in Asia Minor. The Lord has a word for the church, and there's not a hint of rebuke in it. This is why I like teaching on Smyrna. <laughs> Smyrna and Philadelphia are the only two churches that the Lord does not find any fault in. And the other ones, uh, he's, he's pretty clear about what their problem was. But the church of Philadelphia, the church of Smyrna, he only has good to say about them. He only explains what's going on with them. Uh, he's not rebuking them for anything. To a certain degree, all the churches were under decree of persecution and it effect, had affected them. Philadelphia and Smyrna came out good. Ephesus, they lost their first love. Pergamus. They had a tolerance for false doctrine. Remember the Nicolaitans. In Thyatira, there was a presence of rampant and unrepentant sin in the church. The church at Sardis, another church had allowed sin to destroy them. Laodicea, a church that had become totally apostate. Totally the opposite of what God wanted for that church. And so the clear progressiveness of church destruction of these churches is seen moving from Ephesus to Laodicea. So we know how it starts. It starts with losing a loss of your first love. You know, that loss of keeping Jesus first in your life. Keeping him at the beginning of everything. Putting him before everything else. That's where it starts. That's just the first step though. If you do that, then you begin to tolerate false doctrine. Then sin comes and you don't repent because you've convinced yourself it's not wrong anymore. And if you allow that in the church, it will destroy you. And then what's left of the church is totally opposite of what God wants the church to be. Totally not apostolic, but the opposite apostate. Revelation 2, again, looking at the first parts there, the church in the city and unto the angel of the church in Simona write, So we come to the church in Smyrna. uh, That is the second one, the post route of Asia Minor. Uh, If you want to throw up some of the slides, Joe. It was 30 to 35 miles north of Ephesus and was situated on a great harbor. Uh, During these times of war, the harbor could be completely enclosed, so the strong defense of the city was enabled. Alexander the Great had rebuilt the city and made sure that it held a very Grecian influence about it the city of Smyrna, it was a major commercial product, was myrrh. It also had a very large export of vintage wines. It was called the Glory of Asia because of its beauty. It was filled with multiple temples to various gods. Zeus, uh, Celebi, goddess of nature, and a host of others. And so we see that it's, it's a very... Important and powerful city, but God knows what He's doing. This is one of the uh, the gods that they worship there. Uh, It was the birthplace of the poet Homer, and had held a library that had volumes and volumes of books. It also had uh, was the home of a famous stadium that hosted various Grecian games and gladiators. The streets were kept in excellent condition, so that travel around the city was done with ease. Man, if we had those guys, we wouldn't have potholes. They took care of things. And uh, uh, today it's known as Izmir in Turkey and has a population of more than 300,000. And so uh, you can see from the slides, uh, it looks a lot like all that we saw in Greece. (laughs) Basically the same area because uh, they're all pretty that close together. While much of the Christianity has grown lifeless and ritualistic in Turkey, there are still small pockets of vibrant believers today. They do not face persecution of Caesar now. Instead, they have to be aware of the attack of Islamic followers. Because, again, the Muslims are in the majority in that area. And so Turkey, uh, I've also heard not too long ago about different attacks against Christians in Turkey and sometimes we see somebody come along that just has it out for the Christians and starts coming against them and they sometimes have to flee to other countries, uh, but they're being attacked over there. It's all coming from the same direction. And it's crazy, but we know it all goes, all goes all the way back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Had Isaac when they shouldn't have, caused problems, said there would always be trouble between Isaac and Jacob. And so it is till today, between the Arabs and the Israelis. Um, Revelation 2.8, it says, "Talk about the counselor, saith the first and the last, which was a dead and is alive. And so who uh, do we have talking to us? Who's telling us this? Our counselor, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the first and the last. He was dead, but he is alive. That's why we can have confidence in the church, because he has power over death. He has power to lift us up. He has power to raise us up. He has the power to keep us. All of these things, the Lord will identify himself in the opening of every one of these letters, and this description that he gives certainly should not get lost on us. The Lord, which was dead and is alive, resounded with the believers at Smyrna. Some of them were being killed. And so to know that Jesus had died and was resurrected gave them great hope as it should give us today. But the Lord was drawing them back to the cross where the most intense pain and suffering of the Lord is present. He's showing them, yes, you're going to face some persecution, but really, can you compare it to what Jesus went through? The Lord wants the believers to know that he experienced a suffering that led to death. They should take encouragement from that, Because the Lord has already tasted of the first fruits of death and is victorious over death, hell, and the grave. No matter how intense the suffering of the church was, the Lord will supply great strength to them in their tribulation. Uh, Yes, tribulation comes, but with it comes the encouragement and strength of the Lord. Revelation 2.9, I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them, which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. The commendation that the Lord gives to them almost solely has to do with their persecution. You know, we only have a few verses here that talks to them. Almost all of it has to do with persecution. And once again, we have to draw some attention to the Lord knowing their works. You see, too many people today think, if I do good works, then good things should happen to me. That's not always true. It doesn't happen that way all the time. matter of fact, sometimes the more good work you do, the more things go wrong. (laughs) But it doesn't mean you're out of line with God because Jesus did everything right and they crucified him. He chose 12. One of them was the devil. You know, we we can't look at things the way the world looks at things. We have to look through it through Jesus' eyes. Uh, He's clear about the necessity of works in every church. You see, just this verse alone causes a problem with so many so-called Christian churches because they think all they have to do is believe. But when you're getting persecuted, you've got to have more than belief. You better be working some things. <laughs> you better be doing some things for the Lord. Uh, there's a great reward that will be received for those who are committed to working for the kingdom of God. Furthermore, there is no way around the fact that established faith will lead to devoted works. If you really believe, you're going to do something. If you really believe with all your heart then you're gonna do something for Jesus. You're not just gonna sit back and say, I believe. (laughs) You are actually going to do something. And a lot of that would have to do with trying to win somebody to the Lord, try to reach out to someone, try to disciple someone. Because most times you just tell them, I believe, and you're not any different than them, why should they change? Uh, The Lord commends them for their works in the tribulation. Smyrna was considered to be the greatest city that was devoted to the worship of Caesar. The common greeting on the street was, Caesar is Lord. The Christians would reply, Jesus is Lord, and would be persecuted for it. You know, you think about the day, if you walked up to somebody and said, praise the Lord, after they said something about their God, or what is it, or whatever it is, I forget what they say. Uh, you don't, you don't always get uh, the right answer back. But you need to have the presence of mind and enough belief in God to stand up to that. I, to me, if they can express their belief, you should be able to express your belief. You know, they talk about freedom for, of expression, but they think it's only for them. But it really should be for everyone. And as Christians, even if it's not popular, it's what we still need to do. We need to let them know we're different. We need to let them know that we don't, go the same way that they do that we don't do the same things they do and we don't we're not mean about it but we need to stand up for what we believe in Uh, because Smyrna was loyal to Rome they had built a temple around 196 BC the aroma or the goddess of Rome and that was one of the pictures you saw earlier they actually worshiped the city of Rome (laughs) during the time of John's time on Patmos the Roman Caesar was Domitian who was a bloodthirsty tyrant who wanted to kill every Christian that he could find. So that's what the Church of Smyrna was dealing with. It cannot be without some divine irony that the meaning of the name Smyrna is suffering. It is also not lost on us that the name comes from the word myrrh. in this city. Myrrh is used. I'm back. (laughs) (laughs) Testing, one, two, three. (laughs) It's uh, used in perfumes. It's an ingredient of the holy anointing oil of the priest, used for purification of women, used in embalming the dead. It also uh, was also brought by the wise men to Jesus at his birth. Uh, It was brought with gold, that was a picture of the Lord's loyalty. It was brought with frankincense that typified his deity and purity. The myrrh was a picture of his suffering humanity. Uh, When the Lord was on the cross, he was offered wine mingled with myrrh that would have acted as a, a primitive pain reliever. He refused it. When the Lord comes again, He will not be presented with myrrh because his sufferings are over. In order for the myrrh to achieve its full fragrance and perfume, it has to be crushed and beaten. Crushed and beaten. This is exactly what happened to the church of Smyrna. It was crushed, it was beaten, it was uh, persecuted, but it still stood. It still went on, and Jesus had nothing bad to say about them when he was writing this. Their crushing came from three different sources. The first one was tribulation. Uh, Greek word literally means pressure. The word is used to describe a man who was tortured to death by being slowly crushed by a big boulder that was laid on him. That was tribulation. Big boulder that was laid upon him. It was also used to describe the crushing of the wheat under the millstone. Jesus was very aware of the threshing that goes on in the life of a child of God. No one is immune from the pain and struggles of life. Everybody goes through similar things. Everybody goes through some kind of sufferings. Especially anybody that you think highly of, they probably went through more sufferings. <laughs> and, uh, I remember a preacher one time, he had, uh, lost his wife and his daughter in a car accident and, uh, it was very difficult for him to, uh, overcome, but he did and continued preaching and, uh, one night after a particularly great message that he preached, he didn't necessarily think it was great, but everybody else thought it was great, uh, a young man come up to him and said, man, I, I, wish, I could, uh, wish I could preach like that. He said, are you willing to go through what I went through? And that's what we have to realize. It's not, it's not all fun and games. There is persecution. There is crushing. There is pressure. In the days of the Romans, they would thresh grain by using a cart that was equipped with rollers instead of wheels. Sharp stones and rough bits of iron were attached to these cylinders to separate the husk from the grain. The cart was called a tribulum, which comes from the word tribulation. When great affliction comes to us, we can sometimes think of ourselves as being torn to pieces, as cruel pressures of adverse circumstances of life. The Lord told the church at Pergamus, I know your tribulation. He also mentioned their poverty so much for the TV preacher's get-rich schemes, he spoke of their poverty, literally means destitution. He's a person who has nothing at all to claim as his own. Because of their stand for the Lord, many of these people had lost their jobs, their business, and their social status. They were looked down on in society as a bunch of misfits and outlaws. In fact, many of the Christians here became prey to robbers Vandals, thieves, because the attackers knew the Romans, would not defend them because of the stigma that was placed on them as Christians. Uh, The stigmata, the marks of the cross, branded these people. How many of us would withstand that sort of treatment in our time without buckling to it? We think about what some of these early Christians went through and some of our Christians in the world today are going through. uh, They are, again, crimes against them go unreported. Or uninvestigated at least Uh, and, and many times it's just like after the Council of Nicaea the thing that caused everybody to become Christians and be baptized in the Trinity was the fact that if you didn't anybody had the right to come in and take everything the Christians had so that's what was going on here in Smyrna too it was profitable for people to rob them and steal from them because nobody was going to do anything about it and so Uh, people hated the believers in Smyrna for a number of reasons. One, because they would not worship Caesar. And this is basic. This is what you have to understand. Anybody who doesn't like you or doesn't get along with you because you don't worship who they worship is not a tolerant person. They're not someone who is out looking out for your good. They're not someone that's going to be a benefit to you the world tries so hard to get us to worship whatever it is that they worship. Whether it's Allah, or this idol, or that idol, or this, whatever it is. If you don't worship what they worship, then they're going to be against you. They didn't like Smyrna because they were viewed as atheists because they would not worship the Roman and Greek gods, or in goddesses. Again, you don't worship their gods, you're an atheist, because <laughs> you don't believe in their god. They accused them of being cannibals, you like this one. Accused of being cannibals because of the partaking in communion. And when Jesus said, eat my flesh and drink my blood, they condemned them for that even though they didn't do it literally. They still uh, had that against them. They accused them of being immoral. <laughs> this one cracks me up. <laughs> and we don't do this a whole lot anymore. But they accused them of being immoral for greeting each other with a holy kiss. I'm thinking, you get mad at the church because of a holy kiss, and yet you go out and do all these sexual... <laughs> but you're going to be concerned about the church, uh, the way they greet one another. It just boggles your mind. Uh, they accuse them of being homebreakers because of the division that caused one spouse to be saved and the other to be lost in sin if they were not a believer. And this, this, is a, this is a big deal to a lot of people. They, they have a big problem when the house becomes divided. And yet, most of the time, they live in divided houses themselves. <laughs> and so uh, it's just interesting the things that uh, people of the world or people of other religions have against Christians. Uh, these men and women were under great duress. It cost them something to be followers of Jesus. How we need to take that place in modern era with the American church. We have come to a time when it costs very little to be a Christian. It seemed like it's gone through a, a phase. When I was younger, it seemed like there was a lot of harassment of the church. I mean, we were called Holy Rollers and Bunheads and all kinds of stuff at, at that time. And then along came, and you only know that if you're a kid who lives right down the street from the church. Everybody knows where you go to church. They see your car at that church. They, you know, I, that, this is for a kid. And... Uh, Then we went through whenever it became uh, a lot of people began speaking in tongues, receiving the Holy Ghost, uh, the uh, charismatic movement come along, and then it seemed great for everybody to be tongue talkers then. And now we're starting to go the other way again. (laughs) And so uh, we have to be settled in mind that no matter what kind of persecution comes our way, that we are willing to stand with Christ because he has already stood for us. Blasphemy. Blasphemy meaning slander. The Jewish believer, uh, believers hated the Christians and did everything possible to destroy their reputations. Those who hated these Christians used all sorts of malice, lies, gossip, slanders, and innuendo. Remember, they used all this against Jesus too. They tried to destroy them in the eyes of other people. And this is what this is a way that you could also be persecuted as people will try to uh, say lies or things about you to other people to uh, destroy uh, what you are in the eyes of other people. They, they, I, uh, when I was working at a foundry, I worked in a little room with another guy, and he was a Jehovah Witness. And uh, every time somebody would come in and they would start talking anything about God, he would say, you know what he believes? <laughs> and then he would say something that I believe that he knows the world just doesn't understand at all all the time. i say, that's okay. Happy birthday. <laughs> <Yeah>. so, <laughs> and, uh, so you, you're, you know, they're going to do whatever they can to lower you in the eyes of other people because the better you look, the worse they look. And so they're just trying to, uh, trying to bring you down to their level. Uh, The Lord paints the enemies of the brethren into a terrible plight. They that are guilty of these actions are literally members of the synagogue of Satan. <laughs> what an oxymoron that, here, that is, this is. Here is a place that many would recognize as a church, but it become a literal living zone for a bunch of demons. A synagogue would be what most Jews went to, and yet he calls synagogue of Satan, which means the God that was in there is gone, and now Satan has control. Immediately, a question might come to mind, can that same thing still happen today? There is ample support that this particular thing can still take place in our day as well. Look no further than what Paul expressed to the church at Corinth. And uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 19 through 21, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version. What do I imply then? That food offers to idols is anything, or that an idol is anything? No, I imply that pagans sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. How could a church evolve into the place that it becomes a synagogue of Satan? When it becomes choked with worldliness, with sin, with sin with false doctrine and a general apathy towards the things of God. And you know, I really think the apathy comes first. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. People aren't real excited about anything that has to do with God yet. They come to church, but they're not really uh, they could take it or leave it. And that's where willingness comes in and then sin and then false doctrine. Revelation chapter two, verse ten, the commandment Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto the end, and I will give thee a crown of life. And so he tells us what the devil is going to do. <laughs> some of you going to get cast into prison, some of you are going to be tried. You will have tribulation. But you've got to be faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. As with all other churches, the Lord would have some directions to give to the churches. Smyrna was commended, commanded to do some things in the face of the difficult persecution they would face. Fear none of these things, he said. Fear none of these things. What? Don't fear prison in your future. Don't fear trial and tribulation in your future. Don't fear any of these things. He also goes on, fear not, for the Lord knows his perfect plan for the future. That's where we get nervous sometimes when we don't know the plan. (laughs) And we have to remember, he does know the plan. And you've been filled with his spirit and baptized in Jesus' name. He has a plan. And ultimately, it's going to take you to heaven. You just got to hang on. (laughs) And fear not. Uh, Fear not, for we can know the Lord still has a limitation placed on evil. God can still stop the devil from anything that he wants to stop him from. He, he still has the power. He still has, he, the, the scripture tells all power is given unto me in heaven and earth, Jesus said. So he has the power. And so we have to realize sometimes whenever it doesn't go the way we want to, he's allowing it for some reason. And we have to trust in the reason. We have to trust in him that he knows better than we know. Many times you will find that persecution or pressure or tribulation that comes against you is to prepare you for something that will be harder later on. And that shouldn't uh, worry you too much because if he keeps you through that, he's getting you ready for the next thing. It's like basic training. (laughs) You just got to keep at it so you'll be ready when the time comes. Uh, Fear not, for we can depend on a courage that comes from another world. No matter what this world throws at us, we've got the Holy Ghost, which is something out of this world. And one of these days will take us out of this world. We serve a God that is bigger than anything in this world. Uh, Fear not that the Lord will have the last word in every evil conflict. The devil may try to get in the last word, but (laughs) Jesus will have the last word. No matter what it looks like, the devil makes it look like, in the end, Jesus is the one who decides how it turns out. Fear not, for the Lord has overcome death already. Fear not, for the Lord has overcome death already. So ultimately, the greatest thing the devil could do is take your life, but then your spirit goes to Jesus. Your spirit goes to him. So we don't have to worry about the hereafter. We need to worry more about right here now <laughs> and how we, how we deal with things of the Lord. There are some who might say that this advice is awfully trite and say, well, you know, just grit your teeth and hope for the best. <laughs> That's certainly not the way that we should look at it, but we have enough confidence in the Lord to know that we cannot fear what we are facing no matter what or where the difficulties come from because the Lord's commandment is to fear none of these things. So I don't fear those things. You might want to substitute the word worry. (laughs) Uh, There's a lot of things we really shouldn't worry about. A lot of things. Even the devil would choose to send some to prison Fear not and be faithful. If the devil uh, could incite the Sabians and, and Chaldeans in Job 1, 15, and 17 to, to violence against Job, the devil can control the jailers and civil authorities to come against the church. We've seen it over and over history where uh, the jailers or the civil authorities come against the church. You know, uh, Paul was throwing them in prison when he saw. So there are things that will come against the church, but he's telling us, fear not. Why? Because we've got a God that's greater than anything that comes against us. Luke twenty two thirty-one, I won't read the whole thing, but it says Satan hath desired to sift you as wheat. This was Jesus' prayer for Peter. It wasn't that Peter would never fail, it was that his faith would not fail. Yeah, we'll we'll fall sometimes, but we've got to get back up, and we still gotta keep believing in God regardless of what happens. First Thessalonians two eighteen. Paul desired to come to Thessalonica, but Satan hindered him. We're talking about the Apostle Paul. Satan hindered him. Why? Only because God allowed it. God had a reason for it. What was the reason? I don't know. I'm not there. <laughs> we don't always know. That's why we had a song, I'll understand it better by and by. <laughs> One of these days, we will understand. We just have to be faithful to the end. Second Thessalonians 2 Thessalonians 2.9. It says that uh, Satan come with all power and lying wonders. That's the way the devil works. Seems to have power, but he has lying wonders. You know, he's a great magician, but there's always some trick to it. And mostly it's getting your direction looking one way when he's doing something the other way. Anytime you get your eyes off of Jesus, you could be fooled. <laughs> Don't fall for that. Ephesians 6, 11. Talk about putting on the whole armor of God. It says, and stand against the wiles of the devil. There are times you're not going to be able to charge ahead and take ground when you're living for God. There are some times, because of the way the devil is coming at you, all you can do is stand. All you can do is stand. But that's all God asks you to do. He doesn't expect you to conquer the devil. He just expects you to stand up to him. And we need to, we need to stand up. Uh, to people who come against us whenever it comes to our beliefs. We, we've got to stand up for Jesus. We, we can't just go, well, okay, if you believe that way, then... No. Uh, there's just too many things that are happening today. They're, they're getting so bold in the things that they believe. So bold in the things... You know, it, it's just so sad to see all the things that are being pushed on mankind right now by a very small minority of people. I don't know the statistics anymore. At one time, there was less than 4% gays or homosexuals in the world. And yet, if you see just about anything, you would think there was at least 20, 25, 30%. But there's not, there's not. And so that's the wiles of the devil. He tries to make it look like everybody should accept this. And if you don't accept them, then you're not tolerant. Well, they're not tolerant of you. And so, it, it really, we just have to stand. We have to stand. You know, you know they, the problem is they want us to approve of what they're doing. They want us to say it's okay. They want to say, well, that's, that's nice for you. you say, you Most of the time, it's best for us to say I love you. But that's not what the Bible says, and so that's not, you know, that's not what I believe. You don't have to argue about it. You don't have to be mean about it. But you do need to stand up because if you don't, they'll think you agree with them, and you definitely don't want to agree with them. Ephesians six twelve says, "For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places." And so, when we look at Ephesians six eleven and twelve, uh, I don't know about you, but I've never seen an easy wrestling match. (laughs) It's so up close and personal. It's always uh, very personal (laughs) because you are right there. You're you're touching one another's body. You are. It's a struggle. If it's not, it's over. (laughs) There's no struggle. It's over. And so uh, we we have to come to this understanding of uh, who Jesus Christ is and the power that He has over Satan, because Satan does not have all power. Jesus has all power. Uh, We've we've got to understand that and make sure that we realize. uh, We've got to come to an understanding that we are in a spiritual war zone. Uh, This isn't a physical thing. You don't don't have to uh, duke it out with somebody when you disagree with them. No, it's a spiritual thing. It's a spiritual battle. It's something that we have to recognize. It's not even really that person but it's the spirit of Satan that is stirring them up against us. And so that's why we can't, we can't hate them or get upset at them. They're being stirred up. And they don't have the power that we have. And so we, we have to come to an understanding about that spiritual, 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 spiritual war zone. And so I uh, also want to look at the verse in Matthew chapter 5 and verses 10 through 12. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so when you think of persecution, this is the verse that you should think of. You understand that persecution has a a purpose, and that means you are blessed in the kingdom of heaven. that's, That's something greater. You see, that's the hope that we have that so many in the world... Don't understand and don't have. We've got a hope that goes beyond this. life. we have the hope of the the kingdom to come. And so, when persecution again for righteousness' sake, if you're being an idiot and somebody persecutes that, you know that's you're on your own. <laughs> you know, it, it's if you're persecuted for righteousness' sake, you're, you're trying to witness them or you're trying to help them. And then verse eleven says, "Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you." and say all manner of evil against you falsely again for my sake. If they're doing it because the stand you take for Jesus, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. It's a good thing. For Many times we don't realize that even though the person who attacks us seems like they don't like us, they hate us, or whatever, many times God is working on them. And he's pointing us out to them saying, look, just like you did with Job, you're not going to rattle them. They're not going to change. They're going to stand up for me. And so if we give in and attack them back, then the testimony is ruined. And so we have to stand up and allow God to use us uh, when people speak evil, falsely. And we we live in a world where that's all the time. (laughs) All the time. Verse 12. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets, which were before you. So again, we have a great hope. They persecuted the prophets. They persecuted people all the way through the Old Testament. So we should not be shocked. They persecuted Jesus and the church from the beginning. So we, we can't be shocked by that. We have to realize that we should be exceedingly glad because great is our reward, not down here, but in heaven. That's where our reward is. And uh, too many times people today, they, they take things too personal and think the person's against them instead of recognizing uh, the wiles of the devil. And uh, there, there's just, we have to understand where uh, God is actually coming uh, to from, from, for us. Uh, and I'm not going to have a... I I'm going to finish up here with... Uh, it mentioned tribulation, 10 days... There's a couple of different things about that. One is it talked about each of the next ten uh, Roman Caesars. Um, I don't. I don't want to go through that's too much history for you. <laughs> uh, don't don't really want to do that. I'm going to end up with Revelation 2:10 and 11. But thou art, be thou faithful unto death, I will give thee a crown of life. He that hath ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt by the second death. So what do we get if we stay faithful? The crown of glory, 1 Peter 2:4. The crown of righteousness, 2 Timothy 4:8. The crown of life, James 1:12. The crown of rejoicing, 1 Timothy 2:19 through 20. The incorruptible crown, 1 Corinthians 9:24 through 27. A child of God looks at suffering or should in a totally different light than the pagan believer does. For the saint who suffers tribulation will lead to triumph and out of persecution comes a prize out of death, we will come to reign with him. Stay faithful to the end. Stay faithful to the end. Let's stand. The Lord slips in one last thing here. He says uh, about uh, not be hurt by the second death. When you've been born again, when you're born twice, you don't have to worry about the second death. You may die your physical death, but you don't have to worry about the spiritual death that comes with the second death because you have been born again. Born once, you die twice. Born twice, you only die once at the most. And so Revelation 26 finished up with, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. And they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So... That's what we have to look forward to for persecution. Uh, whenever we are attacked, whenever we are come against, we've got something that goes beyond this life. We've got something greater than the world has. We've got a hope that goes beyond, and that's why it's so great to be a Christian no matter what kind of persecution or tribulation comes our way.